0: Welcome to the Faith Community Church Podcast, a ministry of Faith Community Church in South Boston, Virginia. We're glad you can join us as Interim Pastor Kyle Julius shares a weekly message to encourage you to deepen your faith in Jesus Christ. Here's Pastor Kyle. Well, if you have your Bible, I invite you to turn with me to the Gospel of John, uh, where we're going to pick up our exposition in John's Gospel this morning. If you are just here with us and missed last Sunday as we started this gospel, in your bulletin last Sunday there was an insert with some background information on this gospel. I had said that instead of spending the first 15-20 minutes of my sermon, uh, explaining background information such as authorship, date, genre, um, I would include it in a little insert. Um, if you do not have an insert, uh, there, it's my understanding that there are some in the back in front of the shoeboxes. So if you're um, interested in understanding uh, some of the background information for this gospel, I encourage you to pick up a little slip. And as I'm sure you've seen in your bulletin, Uh, This Tuesday, we're going to begin a new study. Uh, We have ended our study on evangelism, and we're going to pick up in the book of Ruth and begin a four-week study uh, in that. That study is entitled Redemption in Ruth, so we're going to see how uh, Ruth's story uh, ties into the greater story of redemption throughout Scripture. Uh, So if you have your Bible and you are in the Gospel of John, I invite you. We're going to begin reading in verses 6, and we're going to make our way through verses 18. This is the word of the Lord. He has made him known. Father, in the next few minutes, would you soften our hearts and open our eyes. and Allow us to hear. May your word uh, penetrate the places of our hearts that need to look more like your son. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, you might be familiar with the claim that all religions are basically the same. Uh, Whether you're a follower of Christ or not, there's a popular belief today, uh, and it's ultimately rooted in the notion that we all have bits and pieces of the truth, uh, and not one single group has all of the truth, um, that, uh, that all religions are basically the same and they're all on the road to the same God. Uh, Ligonier Ministry recently did a study in their uh, uh, State of Theology survey, uh, and they, they noted that 56% of all professing, self professing evangelical Americans uh, believe and affirm that God accepts the worship of all religions, including Islam and Judaism and, and whatever, anything outside of Christianity. Uh, in fact, Uh, Tyler Childers, uh, one of my favorite bluegrass artists, recently released an album titled Can I Take Take My Hounds to Heaven? It's an interesting title. Uh, In one of his songs, he writes, uh, There's Hindus, Jews, and Muslims, and Baptists of all kinds, Catholic girls and Amish boys who have left their plows behind, up there in the choir, singing side by side, Wondering why exactly they 've been fussing the whole time, hallelujah, hallelujah. Uh, well, needless to say, it, it hasn't been my favorite album of his so far, um, <laughs> but many, many people share this belief. This is not a, uh, this is not an unpopular belief. this is a popular belief, and sadly, even people within the church believe that God accepts the worship of all religions so I ask, is, are all religions the same? Are we all on the same road in relationship with God, with the same God, no matter where we land or what road that we're taking? Well, the short answer is no. Uh, but my 50-minute-long sermon answer <laughs> is also no, but we have to unpack why that is, I want to submit to you this morning that from our text, John is communicating to us that Jesus is the only one who can reconcile us to God. Jesus is the only one who can reconcile us to God. And our text is also going to answer the question, why? So if Jesus is the only one who can reconcile us to God. Why is it that Jesus is the only one who can do that? And I want us to see three reasons that John gives for us this morning why Jesus is the only one who can reconcile us to God. The first reason that Jesus is the only one who could do this is because only through Christ can we become children of God. Only through Christ can we become children of God. Look at verses 6 through 13. Uh, There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light, that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. So if anybody knew this better, this truth, that only Christ uh, can become, through him, we can become children of God. And the only one who knew this better was the one we're introduced to in verses six through eight. His whole ministry in life, uh, this man that was sent from God, was based on in four appointing people to Jesus, not his own ministry, And in that way, John the Baptist serves as a model for us. And John opens up in verse 6 saying that there was a man sent from God. And of course, we know that he was sent from God uh, because Isaiah prophesied in Isaiah 43 through 5 about this man who is about to spend his whole ministry pointing to the exclusivity of Jesus. In uh, Isaiah 43 through 5, uh, Isaiah prophesies a voice cries, In the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. And the prophet Malachi says of this man who was sent from God in verse 6, Malachi writes, Behold, I send my messenger and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. That's Malachi 3.1. And so John in our text writes of John the Baptist, this man was sent from God. We know this man was sent from God because God's people had prophesied about this man ahead of time. Later, John in verse, uh, chapter 3, verse 30, would say uh, of Jesus, he must increase and I must decrease. Uh, So, friends, when we fully grasp uh, the doctrine of the exclusivity of Christ, which means only Jesus can reconcile humanity to God, we will spend much much of our days the way John the Baptist spent his, making sure that people know who Jesus is. This was John the Baptist's ministry. This was why he was sent by God. Uh, his ministry was not to be uh, for his own gain or his, uh, so that people would continue to feel comfortable in their own way of life, in their own interpretation of the law, in their own uh, whatever it might be. John the Baptist, uh, his whole life was geared towards making sure people knew that Jesus was the one to whom they were to look to. The Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, John the Baptist would later Proclaim. So in this sense, John uh, really understood uh, the premise of this sermon here this morning, that only through Jesus can we be reconciled to God. And the reason why Jesus is the only way is because later in verse 9 through 13, John is going to write, it is through Christ that we become children of God. If you look with me on uh, verses 9 through 13, the true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. In other words, verses nine uh, through ten is really, or verses nine through eleven is a recap of what John has already expounded for us in the first five verses. That Jesus has made everything that there is—every uh, mountain and every valley, every river, every uh, everything that we see has been made by Jesus, including the pinnacle of his creation, which is humanity. And so, in verses nine through ten. Or 11, we get this recap of what John has already given us the truth of, is that Jesus has created everything, and Jesus has stepped down into his creation, and yet his creation did not receive him. His creation did not know him. The world did not know him, and even his own people did not receive him. Verse 12, But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. In other words, while everyone is made in the image of God and made by God, not everybody is a child of God. Right? Not everybody is a child of God. That is a gift from Jesus because of the belief that an individual has in Jesus. Right? The, the title, Child of God, is, re, is reserved for those who put their faith and trust in Jesus, the only Son of God. But of course, right, this is, um, there's a popular notion today that even, even among people in the church, again, this is not foreign uh, to the world. I'm not preaching to say the world believes this. I'm saying that there are people in our own ranks that believe everybody as a child of God, regardless of their belief system. But friends, the New Testament decisively disagrees with the claim everybody is a child of God. Instead, the New Testament teaches adoption. The New Testament teaches what John is saying here that Jesus gives the gift of being a child of God through faith in Him. That this is a gift, and this is not something that you can just claim, or somebody else can um, say about you, regardless of who you are. Because we see in verse thirteen that this child of God, this this gift that's given by Jesus, is not born um, out of blood. All right, this is not from your family uh, history. This is not from. Anything uh, that you can do, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. This is something God gives to an individual. It is not something an individual has by right. It is a right that is given. And so, we see in the New Testament that this is an adoptive uh, doctrine here. That we are made sons and daughters and have access to God uh, I said when we finished the book of Ephesians that we may have been done with the book of Ephesians, but I had hoped Ephesians was not done with us. And it seems to be the case this morning in our exposition of John. Because if, if, if you're sensing a familiarity here in John 9-13, through 13, it's because we just read this not too long ago in Ephesians 1-3-6, that one of the spiritual blessings that we receive in Christ is this adoptive childhood status. The Apostle Paul writes, just to refresh our memories here Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing. Remember, the key word here in Paul's writing is in Christ. In Christ. This is a blessing you have in Christ. Even as He chose us in Him, Paul continues, before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love, He predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. Ephesians 1, 1 through 3. Ephesians 2, 3 states everyone is a child of wrath outside of Christ. 1 John 3, 1 through 2 says that it is because of God's great love that we should be called children of God. And note the we in First John, you might be saying, well, yeah, First John 3, 1-2, that we should be called children of God. The we in that passage, friends, are those who have put their faith in Christ. He's writing to the church. And Romans 8, 14-16 makes it clear that in Christ we have received the spirit of adoptions as sons and daughters. And in Galatians 4, 4-7 refers to the spirit of you, you guessed it, adoption, which we, we received, by which we cry, Abba, Father. Uh, Jesus would later make this abundantly clear to uh, Nicodemus the Pharisee. Jesus answered him in John 3, 3-8, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is Spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, and you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. And so it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. When we buy into the notion that everyone is a child of God, as though it is a matter of fact or right. Friends, we cheapen the gospel of grace, which says, child of God is a gift from God through faith in Christ. We cheapen the gospel of grace. We are seeing here, uh, again, if you look with me here, in verse 12, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name. All right, those, this is narrowing down uh, the population here. John is focusing on a specific group of people in which if you do not believe and receive Christ... As he has been laid out in John 1, 1-5, as the only son of God, as the lamb who was slain to take away the sin of the world, as God eternal, as God in essence, as creator of everything, as Lord of your life. If you do not accept and receive that, then friends, you do not fit into the category of child of God. And so John says to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Only the Son of God has the gift in his hand to give that title to an individual. Nobody can put that on you. It doesn't matter what theological background that somebody comes from, and it doesn't matter how many degrees somebody has in theology. If somebody says everybody's a child of God, then they need to go back to seminary, they need to read their Bibles more, and they need to take another look at the New Testament and at the teaching of the gospel, which says the the gift of children of God is a gospel gift given by Jesus. Jesus is the only one who can make us children of God. When When we buy into the notion that everybody's a child of God, we not only cheapen the gospel of grace, which is evidently so clearly a gift, we also give people a sense of false security with God that they do not have. Uh, because the Romans 5.10 and 8, seven and Colossians one twenty one makes this very clear. If you're not a child of God in Christ, it's the only place you can be a child of God is in Christ, you are an enemy of God by yourself. It doesn't matter what religion or moral ethic that you claim. It doesn't matter what politi- political identity that you have. It doesn't matter who your family is. It doesn't matter if your dad was a deacon or your mom was in the choir or your grandmother st- founded the church on the hill. It does not matter. If your faith is not solely in Christ alone, the Son of God, then you are not a child of God. You are his enemy. And friends, what's worse, when we buy into this notion that everybody is a child of God, we render Christ absolutely unnecessary. But according to the scriptures, according to our text here this morning, it is because of his death and resurrection in person that could even make child of God possible. That enemies of God could be reconciled and become his children in Christ. But when we understand and embrace the Bible's teaching on adoption, on the fact that Jesus has given us this gift, when we embrace that, it not only stirs up zeal to share the gospel message of Christ alone, which, by the way, I think evangelism is very much stunted in the church because we have chosen not to believe the doctrine of the exclusivity of Christ. Meaning, if, we, if 56% of American evangelicals, according to the survey, believe that God accepts the worship of all religions, why in the world would we evangelize? Who cares? If everybody's, a child, if everybody's in the family of God, well, then we don't really need to recruit for the family of God. So not only will this understanding the teaching here of adoption stir zeal up to go share the gospel message of Christ alone as John the Baptist did, but we will more deeply rejoice and marvel at the gift of grace being made a son or daughter of God and how much that cost the Son of God to make that happen, right? We will more um, marvel and rejoice in and savor the fact that I'm a child of God, not by birth, not by right, but by born again through the Son of God as a gift, and not only that, but we also have a sweet security that comes with being God's child through Christ. Uh, maybe you're here this morning and, and you're still struggling with the same sins you have been for years. Uh, and, or, or your image of God's fatherhood is distorted because of your, the kind of childhood you had growing up. And because of all these things, because of your ongoing sins and failures and and, and plight, and because of your, you know, already difficult understanding of God being Father to you, uh, you think uh, to yourself, uh, maybe God, uh, maybe I'm, you might be thinking, maybe I'm not really a Christian. Maybe God is getting irritated or indifferent towards me. We've all been there before. We all feel the weight of that. That God is I- irritated or indifferent and because of this, maybe he has signed off on the adoption papers a long time ago and said, I am done. Perhaps God is regretting the adoption of me. Surely by now I, have made, I would have grown out of these struggles and failures. Have you ever thought about that? Surely by now I would have been able to be sanctified enough to where this is no longer a problem. And perhaps maybe I am at at best, at worst maybe I'm not a child of God, but at best I am God's problem child. Friends, we are all problem children. Every single one of us is a problem child. Not one child of God does not have a problem or an issue. But, We are still children, nonetheless. Through faith in Christ, we are children, no matter how many problems, no matter how many failings, no matter how many difficulties, no matter how many, uh, whatever you name it. It's easy to believe when we get into these thought cycles that maybe we're not Christians. Uh, You might think Christians don't do this or think this or feel this way. You know, we're all familiar with the, uh, the theological mantra that once saved, always saved. I, I think it might be helpful for us to instead say once a child, always a child. Because to be a Christian, friends, according to the New Testament, is to be a child of God. And it is a gift from Jesus. Notice, again, verse 12. He gave the right to become children of God. Do you think Jesus is going to take back what he gave you freely? Do you think Jesus is going to say, take this, take this gift, which by the way, I paid for in full. In the moment you do not live up to it, I'm taking it back. You'll have to earn this. You'll have to earn this back. Yet how many of us actually live the Christian life think we have to earn the title child back again? And John says in verse 13, look, this child of God gift that was given to you is not from the product of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. In other words, on your best days, you could never produce this childlikeness that Jesus has given you. On your best days, you could never earn the status of child of God because it is from Jesus. It is a gift from him. It is a gift to all those who put their faith in him. We do not earn or keep up a certain performance to have a completely and securely, to have completely and securely what was given him so freely. It was paid in full. He bought the gift. as Stuart Townsend puts it in his hymn titled, "How Deep the Father's Love." And I've probably quoted this hymn before, but you know, re- uh, repetition is the mother of retention, so I'll just repeat the hymn again. <laughs> "How deep the fathers love for us, and how vast. Beyond all measure, that he should give his only son to make a wretch his treasure. How great the pain of searing loss! The father turns his face away, his wounds, which mar the chosen one, bring many sons to glory. Friends, if we buy into the notion that everybody is a child of God, we render the gospel absolutely useless and cheapen it and make Christ unnecessary. Or we spend our time in despair, thinking that we have made ourselves children of God, and so therefore we need to keep the status by what we do and how well we're doing it. Well, the second reason that Jesus is the only uh, we, reason why Jesus is the only one who can reconcile us to God is that only through Christ do we have communion with God. So we have seen already that John has said it is only in Christ that we have the child status. And that is not of our own will, that is not of our own performance, our abilities, or even from someone who has a theological degree saying that everybody is, but it is from God. And now John is saying that only through Christ do we have communion with God. If you take a look in verses uh, 14 through 17. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. So not only uh, did God become man, uh, but he became flesh here, according to John, but he dwelt among us. Uh, that word uh, dwell. I, I don't often like to bring up the Greek because, to be quite frank, I'm not that great in the Greek myself, so I kind of feel a little bit of a hypocrite when I bring up the Greek. Um, Amen. <laughs> Been there, <done> that. <laughs> Glad I'm not alone in the ranks. But I, I do have to point out this word because it's a significant word when it comes to what John is communicating to us. When John uses the word dwelt here, it's the Greek word uh, skenao, which literally means to tent or encamp, or to occupy. Um, or, to, or, or it could be translated to fix one's tabernacle, have one's tabernacle abide in, um, so that uh, a person may dwell in safety and security under its cover and protection. Uh, and of course, if we understand that John's use of the word dwelt here is, su- is supposed to be translated uh, tabernacled, uh, we're of course brought immediately back to what? Well, we're, bre- we're-, we're back-, back to God's presence dwelling in the tabernacle among Israel. Exodus 25, 1-33, through and Leviticus 16. Don't worry, I'm not going to read Leviticus out loud. I'll let you find time to do that. But these passages here, describe how God lived in the tabernacle and specifically in the most holy place, in the back where only the priest was able to go into once a year on the Day of Atonement. And later, of course, when Solomon built the temple, that's where God's presence resided. And yet here John introduces Jesus not as the place, but the person where God's presence and glory dwells in all His fullness. No longer is God restricted and confined to a specific place behind a curtain, but God has become present among us in the person of Jesus. And while the law with the tabernacle and the symbolisms and rituals were given to Israel to communicate the truth of God, and to give Israel a means to relate to him, to be in relationship to him, and provide a temporary means of forgiveness and grace here in the person of Jesus when John says the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we have seen his glory, glory is of the only son from the father full of grace and truth what what John is saying is that in the person and work of Jesus God's fullness of his presence and of his grace and of his relationship has been fully manifested grace and truth in their full and in their fulfillment. Jesus is who it all pointed to. All the shadows of the law find their substance and meaning in the God-man here, the one who became flesh and dwelt among us, through whom we have grace upon grace and this is what the author of Hebrews is uh, referring to in Hebrews 8, 5 through 6 when he writes, uh, they, meaning all of the symbols and the temple and the rituals and everything that was in the temple, they serve a copy and shadow of the heavenly things. For when Moses was about to erect the tent, he was instructed by God saying, see, that you make everything according to the pattern that you, shown, that you were shown on the mountain. But as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is much more excellent than the old as the covenant He mediates is better since it is enacted on better promises. And John says, "From from, from His fullness, all of the incompleteness that the temple and all of the utensils in the temple and all of the sacrifices and all of the law, all of the incompleteness that that pointed to all of the completeness in Jesus Christ. And you know where Jesus took up residence? Do you know where Jesus decided to make his dwelling place? It was in the middle of messes that the Holy One of God decided to make his dwelling. Notice John does not say he dwelt among kings and princes and influential people. In comfortable places. Jesus did not come down to sit down behind the curtain in the temple in the most holy of places and have people come to him and stand in line. No, no, no. Jesus took up residence with who? Well, the text says, us. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Well, who is us? Who did Jesus dwell among? Who did Jesus make his presence and his glory known to? Well, it was the 12 apostles, it was the woman at the well. It was the lepers, it was the lame, it was the women, it was the children, it was the sick, it was the stubborn. It was the hard-hearted. It was the confused, it was the tired. It was the broken and the minority. Jesus came to dwell among us. He didn't come to dwell in glory and among those who had it all together, because if that were the case, he would have never, ever left his throne So in other words, through Jesus, we get close communion with God no matter the mess in our lives. And we know this to be true because at time in history, Jesus really did step into the middle of a mess. He stepped into the mess and in Jesus, the fullness of God communed and dwelled and shined forth through all of the dysfunction of life in each and every individual that I just mentioned. Through Jesus, we get close communion with God, no matter what still needs sanctifying and cleansing. Through Christ, where God's presence and glory dwells, we have his communion. Of course, his glory here that John refers to uh, could be seen uh, as a callback to the transfiguration with uh, Peter, James, and John on top of the mountain, where Jesus uh, outshined both Moses and Elijah. It could refer to the signs that uh, Jesus is about to uh, perform throughout the book of John where through the signs it was his glory that was being manifested and revealed among the people. And while Jesus' glory shined the most on earth while on top of a mountain with sinners like you and me, and in the middle of messes, can it be true that his glory can shine brightest despite our feeble faith and repetitive failures? Friends, when we see Jesus' glory being manifested throughout the Gospel of John, it is not around cats who deserved it. And it was not around people who were pretty, or good-looking, or uh, ha- were healthy, or who were prosperous, or who were articulate, or who were the theological elites of his day. You know, Jesus' glory... You know, who the one, you know who were the ones who noticed Jesus' glory? It was the ones who were the lowly. It was the ones that uh, was the outcast and the ostracized of society. It, it was the people um, who the people in high positions uh, took very little notice of. It was the people whose lives were not all put together at all. Those were the people that got to see Jesus' glory uh, be manifested and seen the most. I, I think of uh, Herod and Pontius Pilate towards the end of our gospel. They were face to face with Jesus The one who is truth, and yet Pilate looks at him and says, what is truth? And so here are two men of high prominent uh, standing in society who would have had everything in the world, and yet they're standing in front of the one who created it all, who is their creator, and they saw absolutely nothing. They saw an entertainer. They saw a magician. They saw somebody who they could gain from, and and it... I'm not getting emotional. <clears throat> and they saw nothing. <clears throat> and yet the woman at the well, who had five husbands) <clears throat> And the woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years. And the tax collector who had robbed Israel. And the, uh, uh, the, the short little Zacchaeus who had to climb up a tree to get a look at Jesus. And uh, the man with the withered hand. And the man who was lame at the, at the, at the pool at the, in the sheep gate. And, uh, and Peter who had his foot in his mouth most of the time. Uh, And Mary, who is a a nobody. These were the people who saw the glory of Jesus manifested in their lives. And so, friends, if they could see the glory of Jesus manifested in their lives, can it be true that in our mess, in our lowliness, and in our humility, And in our shame, and in everything that we carry with us, is it not true that Jesus' glory can be seen in its fullest in all of that? The Jesus who dwelt and revealed his glory in lowly places still dwells and shines in lowly places today. So if you came in depleted and your spiritual and emotional tank is on E right now, this morning, then take comfort knowing that it is from his fullness. Right? John says in verse 16, for from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. It's a good thing you and I don't need to be full to come to him. It is a good thing that we do not need to be in a position of abundance to come to Jesus to receive that abundance and fullness. In fact, that his fullness is for the people who are on empty. John says in verse 16 through 17, this very thing, and Paul writes in Colossians 1:10, "And you have been filled in him, who is the head of all rule and authority. All the fullness of God dwelt in Jesus bodily." And so the reason why Jesus is the only one who can reconcile us to God is because he is God himself in the flesh come to dwell among the broken and the messy and the sick. He is God in the flesh. He is God tabernacled. He is the fullest presence of God. You can't get more full than Jesus. And so when there are other religions and philosophies or culture ideas that says, hey, look, I've got a way that you can get to God, you can just point to John 14 and say, no, 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 I've got a way that God came to me. I've got a God who did come to me. I've got a God who came and took on my frailty. I have a God who is in human flesh. I have a God You can't get more full than Jesus, so why would I jump on a bandwagon or embrace a religion that says, hey, I can get you fullness when we already have fullness? Jesus is the only one who can reconcile us to God because it is through Jesus the fullest of deity dwells bodily, and from his fullness, all of it, we have received grace upon grace. Uh, And the third and final reason why only Jesus can reconcile us to God is because only through Christ can we truly know God. It is only through Christ can we truly know and have full knowledge of God. Uh, John, in his prologue, ends with, uh, in verse 13, or 18, sorry, no one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him uh, known. I like the way the CSB translates this verse uh, since it's a little bit clear. The CSB uh, reads verse 18 like this, No one has ever seen God, the one and only Son, who is himself God, and is at the Father's side. He has revealed him. In other words, Jesus, who is God, John can't get enough of this, by the way. John is just driving home the point that Jesus is God over and over and over again. He says, Jesus, who is God, is the only one who can give us knowledge of God. He has made him known. Uh, in today's culture where truth is up for grabs and we really can't know anything, especially true knowledge of the divine, verse 18, John tells us that we can know God. We can know him because Christ, who is himself God, has made him known. Uh, You may have come across uh, the little story about the six blind men and the elephant. Uh, There are six blind men touching an elephant trying to determine what it is that they feel. One man touches the belly of the animal and thinks it's a wall. Another grabs his ear and thinks it is a fan. Another thinks his tail is a rope. On they go, each grabbing a part of the elephant without any one of them knowing what it is they really feel. So what's the point of the story? Well, the point is that we're all blind men when it comes to God. We know a part of him, but we don't really know who he is. No one is more right than anyone else. We are all just kind of grasping in the dark, uh, thinking we know more than we do. And and while the story is a perfectly good description of human inability in matters of the divine, the story never considers this paradigm-shattering question. What if the elephant talks? what if he talks? What if he tells the blind man, that wall-like structure is my side? The fan is really my ear. And that's not a rope, it's a tail. Friends, in Jesus, we have the complete picture and knowledge of God. It is God's word in flesh dwelt among us Speaking what God has said, revealing the fullness of who God is, we don't need to be left guessing on who he is. And this is why those who choose to reject Christ as the only way to be reconciled to God and base it on their own merits or their own religion or say, well, we really can't know and God's going to accept my worship because I'm doing the best I can, right? You'll hear that often. Look, we're all doing the best we can. We're all on the same road. It doesn't matter who practices what. We're all doing the best I can. Look, your best is not enough. It will never be. And that's why Jesus came to proclaim the gospel of the kingdom. That is why Jesus came to dwell among us in human flesh, so that we would have no excuse at the end of the day to say, I didn't know. God has spoken in the word made flesh, recorded in the word written. And so we're all without excuse. And you might ask, well, what about the people who like, live on an island somewhere? Well, if you're that concerned with those people, go be a missionary. <laughs> people ask that question as if it's like a stumper. It's like, <laughs> go. The point is, is that in Christ we have the full picture of God. And we have full knowledge of God. That's why we don't need a priest or a guru or a magician or an entertainer or a philosopher or a psychologist or somebody of a new age spirituality. We don't need another person to say, I've got another way for you to experience God, friend their only way we experience God to the fullest and in its full capacity and all of the grace and all of the truth and all of the knowledge and all of the wisdom is through the person and work of Jesus. I like the way N.T. Wright puts it when he says, if you want to know who God is, look at Jesus. If you want to know what it means to be human, look at Jesus. If you want to know what love is, look at Jesus. If you want to know what grief is, look at Jesus. And go on looking until you're not just a spectator, but you're actually part of the drama, which has him as the central character. Friends, the doctrine of the exclusivity of Christ, Jesus being the only one who can reconcile humanity to God, is not a secondary doctrine, but at the heart of the gospel of first importance. It matters. It matters that we know and embrace and revel and rejoice in the fact that it is only through Jesus Christ that we are reconciled to God. Because it gives us deep security, deep joy, deep growth, and it gives us an urgency to make sure that that message is given to everybody around us. Because people outside of Christ are not good, no matter how good they look. We cannot budge on this one, and we have to know what the Bible teaches on this. Only through Christ can we become children of God. Only through Christ can we have communion with God. And only through Christ can we truly know God. Let us pray together. Father, thank you for your word which has revealed to us all that we need to know for faith, and life, and practice, and salvation. Lord, we thank you that you have condescended in such a way to speak and communicate to us that we don't have to guess on who you are. We don't have to have shadows and copies, but we have the real thing. We have a person whose heart beats even now, whose blood flows through his veins, whose nail-scarred hands are visible. We have it all in Jesus. Lord, help us to rejoice in this and live this out and live in light of this and and give us an urgency, the same type of urgency and mission and narrow focus that John the Baptist had. He, John the Baptist, who knew the exclusivity of the gospel of Jesus, more than anyone, he who risked his followers and even his own head to make sure people knew who to look to to have their sins removed so that they could have an intimate relationship with God the Father as a child, so that they could have intimate communion with God as being in Christ and so that they could know you and grow in that knowledge of you. Father, may we grow in the gospel of grace, and may we preach the gospel of grace. And it is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for listening. To learn more about Faith Community Church, you can find us online at FCCSOBO.org or on our Facebook page by searching Faith Community Church. As always, God loves you, we love you, and we hope you have a wonderful week.